Welcome back to Noble Warrior. My name is C.K. Lin. This is the place where we talked about the pursuit of success and fulfillment in building purpose-driven organizations. Today's guest is Matthew Menos. Matthew is the founder and managing director of Very Nice. Since 2008, Very Nice has built and managed remote design and strategy teams to tackle projects for hundreds of clients. Matthew has recently authored a new toolkit, Make It Remote, a survival guide for the future of work to provide businesses with a roadmap for taking their business online. Given the current uh, COVID-19 virus, a lot of business owners are going from brick and mortar physical locations to virtual overnight. Given that, we had talked about a few things. We talked about the pros and cons of the physical model, the hybrid model, the virtual model. We had talked about the mindset and tactical shifts that needs to happen for entrepreneurs going through this transition right now. We also talked about tactical advice to turn this COVID-19 challenge into opportunities for gig workers, for aspiring entrepreneurs who are starting a business right now in this time, who already have a business, as well as the brick-and-mortar business who has a physical location are now looking for new ways to stabilize and maintain their brick-and-mortar business. For any of you who requires support to remain calm amongst the external chaos, I have a mini course that I'm offering here. Go to cklin.com forward slash certainty. cklin.com forward slash certainty. All right, let's get started. I'm really excited today to have Matthew Menos here with us. He is the managing director of a design agency called Very Nice. He's also um, the assistant dean for USC. And he's a speaker. He's an author. I'm excited to have him on our podcast today, mainly because uh, given the uh, coronavirus events happening right now, a lot of business owners are struggling to turn their brick and mortar business to work from home business. So Matthew has been he's been doing this for quite some time. So he has a lot of wisdom and and tactical things that he can share with business owners. So um, thank you so much for being here, Matthew. Yeah, thanks for having me, CK. It's a pleasure to be here. If you don't mind, give us a little bit of a background, a little backstory of why, how long you've been doing this virtual office. Absolutely. So, so there's kind of a, a few interesting stories to that. You know, very nice. That's the name of my company. It's a design strategy practice. So we work with clients all over the world. And just in that very fact, you know, from day one, we've worked with people over the internet. That's really been the big story throughout, whether that's through email or as the more interesting technology like Slack and like Zoom has, has come about, you know, we started to embrace that. But, um, you know, I founded the company when I was in college and I found that I was really needing a lot of help um, to work on these projects from people who were experts in things that I was not. And I was meeting those people over the internet and actually collaborating with them over the internet to get this work done for people. Um, as time went on, you know, the team did grow and we went sort of that traditional path that you might think where we have a traditional office, we have a staff, people in there, et cetera. 
And then actually in the last year, we ended up moving completely to a remote model. So I've been doing that, you know, almost entirely uh, focused for the company in the last year, which has been really amazing. So quick interjection, you actually went through the transition from traditional model to completely virtual model, yeah? Exactly. And, and very traditional. At one point, we actually had three offices. Uh, we had offices in LA and New York and in Austin. And, you know, we realized that so many people that we collaborate with are based just so happens not in proximity to us. And, you know, why, why limit it to that? Right. So, so that was kind of a big moment for us. Mm. So having gone through that transition, what did you learn what was the pros and cons of the completely physical model and what's the pros and cons of the hybrid model and what's the pros and cons of the completely virtual model? Yeah, great question. So, you know, there's, well, so there's a lot of pros to being completely in person, you know, so I'll, I'll start with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I say pros, I mean, these, these are things that are easier, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easier to have this sort of sense of community and, bonding with the team, right? You can all go out for lunch together. You can grab drinks after work together. You can hang up some fun art in the office, right? And that can kind of be an indicator of the company's culture of what what it's what is it like to be someone that's part of very nice. All of those things that a lot of people really want in a position or in a job. Um, you know, some of the cons though with working in person is as a company that hires a lot of people who are work as volunteers or as contractors on different projects, you know, those people are based all over the place. And so here we are with this kind of small staff and then this whole world of collaborators that can't be in that office with us. So there's already that kind of divide in terms of access and who it is that, you know, we can literally sit next to versus working online with the so quick, quick, yeah. so quick introduction there. So sort of the cons of being a completely physical office is uh, if I'm hearing you right, mm-hmm. the talent pool is quite limited to maybe 15 miles radius of that physical office. Is that very true? Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, and also when you think about a physical office, uh, we've had some employees that had longer commutes, for example, and now that is causing stress, right, on that employee. That's also not great for the environment. It's causing more carbon emissions. So all of those kinds of things as well. I think there was a study that I came across that says if you commute more than an hour and a half, or really 45 minutes, I think, was the cutting off point. And in anything more than 45 minutes, your quality of life just drastically drops quickly. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's so true, you know, and, and I've, I've had some, you know, experiences where I had commutes longer than that. And gosh, it's, it's so hard. You know, I've been really lucky that even when we did have physical offices, uh, I've actually been able to live about a block or two from them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, you know, I've, I've always wor- really worked hard to reduce my commute. And when I was first able to do that, what I found is I was almost giving myself an hour and a half to two hours of my life back. Mm. And I was able to start writing more. I was able to start drawing more, you know, sleeping in an extra 15, 30 minutes, right? These little things make a huge difference. It does. It really does. I mean, 
some people may say 15, 20 minutes, it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal if you really think about that times, let's say 50 weeks out of the year and that times for 10 years, let's say you're in business for a long time, it really adds up quickly. So true. So yesterday I had a quick conversation then we'll jump into the hybrid model, okay? Yesterday I had a conversation with a friend we were discussing the pros and cons of being physical to now he's forced to be in virtual. And it's one of those things that we normally don't pay attention to. It's the, t- it's the micro moments. It's the, at the coffee uh, place or the water cooler place or by the bathroom or when you're waiting in line to do something. Those micro moments of, hey, what are you working on? Oh, I'm working on this and that and the other thing. Those are the micro moments that add up to the culture of a place. Right. So having being the physical place really helps with those micro moments. Absolutely. And, you know, the really funny thing, and it's it, this might have happened with your friend. We often if we've been used to working in an office, we often take that kind of stuff for granted. We might not even know. Oh, yeah, I do miss that. Right. These are these kind of little subtle things about work that really do kind of drive you and make you motivated. And so, you know, what I would kind of say to that is a lot of people, almost everybody at this point, um, who's now forced to work from home, you know, kind of look for the indicators of the things that you're missing about that physical workspace and then think, how can I recreate that? You know, we know that you can't literally do it, right? You can't install a water cooler in your apartment and call all of your colleagues over to come and talk with you. But can you have a water cooler channel in Slack, right, where people kind of do that? Can you have a Zoom room open at lunch, just have people eat with you, mm. right? Mm. You know, how, what can you do to sort of recreate those moments that turns out were really important to you? Mm, I like that. So let's hold on to the tactical action steps for the transition. Let's go to the hybrid model pros and cons yeah. first. So now that you've done the completely physical three offices, New York and all that places, now transition to a hybrid model. Um, what are some of the pros and cons of both virtual and physical at the same time? Yeah, so, so when you're looking at hybrid, um, you know, what, something that we did, this was part of our kind of greater transition, is we had some time where we had some employees who were working remote partially because of having a longer commute some that were coming into the office the same regular hours. And then that kind of transitioned to a work from home Wednesday, you know, all of this before we went completely remote. Um, And what I found is that when we had a more hybrid model, um, there was this sort of real pro of being able to have that kind of connection with each other. Um, And actually, in fact, even now with us being... Why do you say that real pro? So say more about that. Yeah, so we see this we see this real pro of being able to connect in person and to kind of balance that with the remote work. And and what I mean by that is you're really putting a face to a to a virtual face, you know, and you're being able to have those kind of sidebar conversations. You're being able to do in in our case with design strategy, you know, get the post-its up on the wall, workshop things together, you know, that that kind of stuff that is super valuable as well. Mm. And the cons of having a hybrid model would be what? 
Yeah. So the cons would be that if some people are coming into the office, you know, every day and some people are working remote every day, it can feel like two alienated cultures uh, that, you know, oh, this person's missing out on this, this person's missing out on that. And, you know, when people feel left out, that that can cause sort of an emotional stress as well. Mm-mm-mm. Not to mention you're paying for the office that a lot of times is not being used, right? Absolutely. So yeah. And it's speaking is expensive. Well, and it's amazing, you know, that's uh, something that when we went fully remote, um, and, you know, what I realized was how much money actually it, it costs to have a space. I mean, you're not even just thinking of the rent. That's probably the first thing that people think of. But there's so many other things like like the cost of Internet or, you know, toilet paper or stocking the fridge or materials or all of these little things that, you know, kind of add up um, as time goes on. Okay. So now you're transitioned to a fully virtual uh work environment, what are the pros and cons of a fully virtual working environment? So the pros absolutely are flexibility um, in terms of, you know, it's less about the hours worked and more about the the sort of quality of the work that's done in general. Um, the other pro is really opening up the, the pool of people that we can collaborate with because uh, this is happening in a lot of industries, but in the design industry in particular, a lot of people are going freelance, you know, and a lot of people are going independent with the work that they do. They weren't interested in coming into an office or becoming an employee or whatever that might be. And now, you know, we can actually work with those type of folks a lot more as well. Um, so those would be some of the pros. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the cons would be? So the cons, you know, it, it kind of comes with all of that, right? And something, you know, that I think is really interesting when people go remote for the first time is realizing all the little details of the in-person that they kind of miss, right? So things like the side jokes, um, things like eating lunch with your colleagues, um, things like just kind of decorating your, your little desk, right, or your kind of space, and um, and so those are things that at first glance, while I know we'll probably get to talking about solutions to those, you know, can be real letdowns as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things that I anticipate, because I've been working from home for a long time already, so I'm quite used to this. There's an internet meme uh, with, a, with a guy kind of having a side look saying, <laughs> your normal lifestyle is considered to be self-quarantine. And then he kind of looked away. I don't know if you saw that meme. Yeah, I you know saw that? that. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> this is totally normal for me. That's so funny. But one of the things I anticipate, having gone through the physical office through hybrid to virtual, completely working from home, what I anticipate is that people would, number one, they appreciate this, the freedom, but also they will go through some kind of a grieving process mm. almost of, of not having the physical contact because we are social animals after all. And when you are staying at home by yourself in isolation, when you are all, all you're doing is staring your kids or your spouse, you can only do so much of that, right? You want to be in communication with your colleagues and talk about things that, that, you know, that you want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I'll anticipate if we don't actively, uh, reach out, having that social connection virtually, um, they will go into a 
a state of uh, depression almost. So um, beautiful. So having done all of this, what would you say to the business owners who are in that transition right now from, from physical to now completely virtual? What are some of the mindset shift that they, they, that they need to think about before we jump into the actual tactical things? Yeah. Well, so, so I would say for, for a manager, for a business owner, uh, there's, there's so many things to be thinking about, but the real number one thing is changing your philosophy or your kind of thinking around management um, in general. You know, it's very easy when you have an office to say, oh, hey, you know, is, is Jane here on time, right? It's, it's nine o'clock. Um, and hey, it's, it's, uh, it's 4.30. Why are people gone? right? There's kind of this easy, visible, okay, people are here, they're working, they're leaving, they took a long lunch, they took a short lunch, you can see all of that, right? Mm -hmm. And the ability to see that is almost completely gone, right? People can be logged in on different, you know, chat channels or going to meetings, things like that. But the the real granular um, aspect of that kind of visibility is more challenging for a manager. So, you know, the biggest kind of recommendation that I make is to change the mindset from, hey, how many hours have you worked today to, hey, did you finish your assignments for the day, right? And, um, you know, that's because some people, when they're going to work from home, what you sort of have to be prepared for is there's going to be people that are early birds like me, you know, and they're starting doing their things at six and, you know, then they take a few hour break in the middle of the day and then they kind of get to the rest of it by five like everybody else, but everybody's going to be different, right? So, um, so you know, this is a very hard thing for managers when they're just getting used to this transition because, you know, very often they're not used to kind of setting a clear scope of work or thinking of things as a project as opposed to as about time. Um, and so that that's something that I think takes quite a bit of adjustment. So in theory, right, I'm, I'm speaking from a place of someone who haven't done this, who have, who's actually in fearful of, of uh, actually, let me bring an example. So I was speaking to an entrepreneur uh, who's uh, at an office physically, and then he is being forced to do a, a completely virtual setting right now because of the COVID-19 crisis happening. So his complaint is that everyone is watching Netflix and everyone is uh, underperforming. Uh, productivity has gone down to shit. Those are his words. So what would you say to that person uh, having gone through the other side, actually are able to maintaining uh, productivity, perhaps even heightened productivity? Well, I think it's all about having very clear expectations on a couple of things. Mm -hmm. So one is clear expectations around your work from home policy, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people, I mean, you know, so many businesses were just thrown into this. They don't have a policy around it. They don't have guidelines. They don't have, you know, anything, right? Mm -hmm. So setting some parameters around what does work from home for our company look like, right? Mm -hmm. Do we have that? flexible range of just get your stuff done and and we're cool or is it no you log in to slack at 9 a.m 
you log out of Slack at 5 p.m., right? You know, what, what are kind of your parameters? Um, so that would be one thing. The other thing that I think is really important is thinking about um, how is it that you actually assess productivity, right? Mm-hmm. And this kind of goes back to something I said earlier around less about hours worked, more about deliverables made, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to do that, you actually as a manager need to say, this is the deliverable. This is what's expected of it. These are the resources we have available for you. Um, this is the effort that we think it'll take. And this is the due date, right? Mm-hmm. And if they don't meet their due dates, just like if they didn't meet a due date or if they skipped out on a bunch of meetings in person, you know, there's repercussions for that. And there has to be that kind of clear understanding uh, between the manager and the team so that they they get that done. Mm. What are some, do you have any books or resources to send them to as they think about more of instead of measuring efforts or time and measuring throughput and deliverables, right? Yeah. Do you have any specific resources or books that you can help them kind of wrap their head around, concretize that even more? Well, you know, I think that there's actually quite a lot of talk around this in the design community. So this is something that designers are very used to as sort of project-based work, right? And same Mm -hmm. with freelancers also. So this might sound like a strange recommendation because it's not necessarily a management book. But Mm -hmm. as a manager, if you actually look up some of the resources online for freelancers around how do you set a scope of work with your client, Mm -hmm. right? you can actually use a lot of those same tactics with your employees, even Mm. though you're not the intended audience. I actually think that would be one of the most useful things. Um, Any any specific book? No, no specific book, but just Mm. blog, blog posts. There's so much information out there. I think the AIGA is a great resource for that, Mm. uh, which is a, a graphic design association, but there's, there's so much of it. If you kind of were to Google, you know, freelancer, scope of work, client, you'll mm-hmm. find so many things. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing too, you know, just to, to do a little shameless plug, um, mm-hmm. we, we just put out um, a couple of really helpful resources that are based on, um, you know, kind of developing and managing remote teams over the last 12 years. Uh, it's, it's called Make It Remote. And uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll provide the link, you know, as part of this post, but you know, we put out a survival guide for the future of work, basically. So how mm-hmm. is it that you can uh, think about some of these management techniques? How can you create that work from home policy? And just what does it take to sort of do this? Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough, now we're being forced to do it. But, mm-hmm. you know, this can also be good for thinking about long term as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, skipping, I mean, giving that topic, let's, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah. What do you, from my point of view, so the Chinese word for crisis, there's danger and there's opportunity, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's the way G, that's what it, it is. The way I think about it is it's, it's a great forcing function for all of us to rethink how we work. And so perfect. So future of work, what do you think how this COVID-19 coronavirus is forcing us to step into the future of work. What do you think the future of work is? It's really fascinating uh, question you bring up. You know, um, 
So I think before I get into what I think the future of work is, I think talking a bit about COVID-19 and, and maybe the, the more near future, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening now is not a new conversation. There's been so much talk about remote work, work from home. There's been demand for that for years, right? But what's happening right now is absolutely everyone, including the naysayers, are forced to actually experience it, mm-hmm. right? So you might have been working for a company where, um, you know, the boss said, oh, I would never do that, right? They, you know, I mean, it's reasonable to not want to do that. that that's completely fine. That might continue to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but they now, where they hadn't before, get to try it. <laughs> and kind of the funny thing is I think we're in that stage this sort of past week where people are, sort of goofing off a little, like sort of figuring it out, you know, but if this goes on for as long as some people think, I think people will actually learn to be productive and learn to adapt as, as we all do, you know, as kind of creative human beings, right? And what that's going to do, and this is sort of my, my warning flag to the, to the managers out there, it's going to make employees realize that, that meeting could have been an email or, Oh, you said that my job wouldn't really function well at home, but I, I did it. Right. And it's going to be hard to, it's going to be hard to go fully back to in person. I got to be honest, right. With Mm -hmm. the amount of people that will be experiencing this. um, I, I'm not saying that every company is going to go remote now and, or that every company should, but I am saying that, pretty much every company is going to have an employee knocking on the door saying, Hey, I kind of want to work from home one day a week. Right. And you'll know how to do that now. And you'll kind of look bad if you say no, to be honest, if they've got the good proof. Right. So, so that's kind of a perspective on COVID-19 in particular. And then I know you, you were bringing up future of work too. Um, You know, to me, future of work uh, as, as a lot of people, mention is about kind of that that flexibility is about project based not time based um, but it's also about uh, thinking kind of more long term and seeing how the gig economy has developed it's also about having many different roles or many different hats mm. uh, and you know this is a pretty stark difference from you know my parents generation your parents generation of you're in a role right and you stay there because you're trying to get the benefits. You're trying to go up the ladder, et cetera. And mm-hmm. we're already seeing signals of that kind of not being a thing anymore. You know, younger employees hopping between jobs every year, every other year, um, holding multiple positions as freelancers, right? Mm-hmm. Driving Uber by night, you know, and I think that we'll see more of that as well. This sort of, spread the spread out, uh, kind of, kind of worker. Hmm. So one of the things that I see on the social web is a lot of gig economy workers are really, really concerned about their, um, their stable income. So what have you seen as a way to help counteract that? Because on the, on the one hand of this freedom um, that being a gig worker provides, 
they're also oftentimes one of the first being cut, right? Mm-hmm. You, as a contractor or, or uh, you know, a part-time employee or even full-time employee. So what have you seen or what would you advise to your audience who are full-time gig workers and they're freaking out right now? What would you say to them? Well, you know, one thing I would say is is to diversify your gigs, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are, you know, if you're, let's say you're a freelance graphic designer, I have a lot of people, um, you know, that, that I work with that, that fall into that category and you have one client and they've been a great client. You've had them for years. Um, they pay well right there. Your anchor, um, right now there's too much uncertainty to have a single anchor, Mm. right? So I would say one of the first things that you can try to do is have 10 anchors (laughs) as overwhelming as that sounds, trying to diversify that would be smart. Um, on top of that though, on top of providing those services and seeing that as an income stream, you know, can you, can you, uh, jot down some of your tips and tricks into a a toolkit that you put online and you charge people for? Can -hmm. you make a icon library that you put online and charge people Mm -hmm. for? Can you make an online course? Mm-hmm. You know, can you do all of these different things, realizing that we're in this time of uncertainty, not one of those is going to do enough for you, right? But collectively, it can do enough. Um, the good news is that a lot of those ideas I just, uh, you know, shouted out are passive as well, because what you don't want is to be working so many jobs that you're exhausted, you get burnt out, you end up not liking what you're doing, right? None none of us want that. But that's something to kind of keep in mind. Um, The other thing I would say, you know, on the contractor note, maybe less on the gig economy side, but more on, you know, people like me who might own a a small agency or or something like that. Um, I launched in 2008 during the recession. And I think in many ways, it was because of the recession that we're still here, right? So so one of those reasons, uh, what was really fascinating during the recession is many of the companies that may have had in-house design teams or in-house marketing teams, et cetera, were laying those people off so that they could hire agencies or consultancies instead. And what that did is it saved them money on Uh, payroll tax, on health insurance, all of those things. So you might, if you just hang in there, have an opportunity actually to be able to um, still survive and actually welcome some of those people who Mm -hmm. may lose their jobs in the next couple of years to your company. Mm -hmm. Um, A really fascinating thing happened, you know, not just with my company, but with a couple others is many of the designers who um, you know, had been in the company for a while and, and were ready for their next thing, moved into in-house, uh, in-house positions at big companies. And that is, to me, always a sign of a good economy when a company is building their own in-house creative teams. So we might be seeing a shift back to kind of the agencies or the studios uh, in the next couple of years. Hmm, so many ways to follow up with this. Let's see how I can break it down. Yeah. So let's say I'm a, I'm that gig worker, right? If I'm hearing you right, some of the ways to prioritize this instead of just here's a buffet of things that you could do. Some of the ways to prioritize this is, hey, you have one client 
and now figure out a way to reach out to your other VIP clients potentially and then create more anchors that way. Right. So you can diversify your income source, right? So that's the first and foremost because they already know you, they already trust you. You can actually help them and provide more value for those prospective clients. That's one. The second thing is figure out ways to productize your expertise, your knowledge in courses, in libraries, in whatever it is that you do, in audio courses, in mini courses and things like that. And on top of that, you didn't say this, I want to add to that is, this is also a time potentially to educate uh, your prospective clients on your skill sets. So you can actually productize your uh, expertise, knowledge into things that you can actually give away, right? Okay, same point. Our, our podcast like this is a productized version of our uh, knowledge and ex- uh, expertise as, as resource for anyone else out there who may be seeking what you have to offer here. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the other great thing, right, to try to always see the the glass half full is that many of you are going to have more spare time than you have before. Right. And so how can you use that spare time in a really smart way? Um, a, a colleague of mine was kind of joking, but also seriously saying that, you know, by the end of the year, we're going to see more academic papers than we've ever seen before. Right. There's going to be all of this time that can be put into content, you know, or we're going to see a lot more podcasts opening up. We're going to see a lot more online courses, a lot more, you know, bloggers, like all of that, I think we'll really have a, a renaissance with all of this time that we have. And, you know, you can kind of sit there and just read that stuff and say, shoot, I wish that I had a job right now, right? Or you can kind of be proactive and see doing that as a way to get that next opportunity as well. I think it's a great way to use your time. For sure. So having been through the 2008 uh, crises, Mm-hmm. And then now you're on the other side. Uh, what would you say was the biggest learning, you know, from having gone through that to where we are right now for somebody who's going through this the first time? Yeah. Well, and you know, the funny thing is, is aside from even going through it, it's literally the year I started my company, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think uh, I have some thoughts for people that might be starting a company right now, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of people who are doing it literally right now because of maybe a a job uh, situation that changed or just by chance, you know, feel like, oh, shoot, I had bad luck in my timing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or or, or the perfect luck. Or the perfect luck, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, something that I mentioned briefly earlier is I don't, I kind of don't think that we would be here today if I hadn't started it during the recession, actually. Uh, And I, I, you know, I gave a reason around, just kind of how the workforce change and all of that. But, but another reason, which I think aligns really well, um, you know, uh, CK to your whole uh, vision for the podcast around purpose as well, is that when I launched the company, I was not, my, all my expectations changed, right? It wasn't, oh, cool, we're in a booming economy. I'm going to get a million clients and I'm going to, get an office and I'm going to grow and I'm going to, you know, all these kind of typical views of success were just totally off the table. Right. And instead what I really did is I took the time to slowly kind of grow this business, to spend a lot of time thinking about the brand, 
our story, our vision, our purpose, right? All of those things that typically when you are very busy working inside the business, you can't work on the business. And so if you're launching in this kind of environment right now, my advice to you is to kind of see that as a, as a bit of a godsend to be able to actually work on the business and, and kind of find that unique voice for yourself and, and make that happen. Mm, I love that. Perfect that you mentioned that uh, because Noble Warrior, who I am, what I'm about is all about purpose. Yeah. So some people may be saying, so if you think about the quadrant, urgency versus importance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are in the urgency, importance area where they're saying to me, CK, I need to put out this fire. My business is about to go under. I need to put food on the table for my family. Don't talk to me about purpose. Yeah. It's, it's too much of a luxury right now. Let me put up my fire first. What would you, because on the surface, it's actually contradictory to what you just said and yeah. what I'm trying to say, right? On the surface. So what would you say to someone who's saying, hey, everything's on fire right now. I can't even think about purpose. Let me just think about survival first before you talk to me about this idealistic things that I really want to talk about, but I just don't have the luxury to talk about right now. You know, it's kind of like a saying um, that a lot of people have if if they're thinking of having kids, for example, where, you know, somebody will always say um, there's never a good time, right? Like it never feels like the right time, you know, oh, I can save a little bit more. I can have a little bit of a bigger house. You know, there's always an excuse to not do something that you know you really want to do, right, for that as an example. So what I would say to that person is you can easily sort of be distracted by all of the things you have to react to. And, and some of those absolutely need your attention, right? I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, that you should ignore the burning home, <laughs> right? Some of those need your attention, but there will always be one of those things at some point kind of scale. So how can you, when you're kind of, you know, facing this, uh, these challenges or these, these hoops that are in front of you, how can you kind of step back and say, you know what, I've seen that hoop before. I've seen that challenge before. I'm not going to get trapped in my typical reactionary mindset. And I'm going to think about the future. And to me, you know, there's a lot of definitions of purpose, but I think a big thing with purpose is it's very tied to the future, right? It's very tied to where you want to go and where you want to end up or what, what world you want to inhabit, right? And so if you're constantly reacting to right now, you'll never be able to actually see that future. And if you can see that as an opportunity to kind of say, oh, by thinking about my purpose, I actually am laying the groundwork to be able to actually do this reaction right now, you know, to actually kind of change that path for myself. You know, it's a good mindset shift to, to attempt to adopt. Mm, I love that. Thank you. I exactly. You're speaking my language and you're speaking to the choir for sure. (laughs) Um, the way I would articulate to anyone listening to this and then who are grappling with this question about putting out fires, you know, for survival versus thinking ahead purpose in my the way I teach my audience is that there is different levels of purpose. 
purpose is a directionality thing. There's the greatest purpose that is your life. What is your life for? And maybe right now, given what's happening, this purpose is to provide for your family. That's what it is. That's totally okay. But still maintain the directionality of where you want to guide your life, your business, your relationship, and so forth. Right. So that's one way to think about it. The second way to think about it too, think about this as an existential crisis. I mean, it, it is an existential crisis for, for mankind, for, you know, if you be pessimistic about it, and or an existential crisis for your business, potentially, right? So it's the perfect opportunity to actually think about, hmm, how I've been doing my business and running my life mm. put me in this position where I'm scrambling. Interesting. Right? So how can I think ahead um, such that I'm not in this position scrambling again, right? That's another way to think about it. I'm not being discompassionate about it, but this is another way to, a perfect opportunity, right? To actually think about this. And how I will concretize it personally is I don't have to think about all these things all at the same time. I can actually break out parts of my day. Hey, from this time to this time, putting out the fires, but this time, this time is self-reflection is mm-hmm. for me to actually think ahead, so on and so forth. So you can actually quantize how you manage your time. What do you say to that? How do you actually manage your own um, mental space, your, your mind share? Yeah, no, I think those are really great points. Um, so to your point of scheduling time, that is completely something that I adopt. Um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in waking up early and, and doing work early because what you can do is you can get to the things that you can predict, right? Because when everybody else wakes up, they bring the unpredictability with them, you know? And so what I try to do is I know in advance, right, the day before I set some goals on my calendar, I block off some time and it tends to be, you know, maybe sometimes as early as 6 a.m. I mean, luckily not that early uh, as much anymore, but, you know, 7 to 10 a.m. of things that I'm like, okay, I've got to get to this stuff, right? Then typically by 10, that's when the world brings all of their unpredictability. And so if I can have some of that time to get to the things that I've planned, it really helps me. Um, On the flip side, I do try to schedule time to write or to reflect on my long-term goals, the vision for the business, uh, what kind of, you know, project do I want to take on next? All of that's very important. And when you do some of this time boxing practice of, you know, this is 30 minutes, this is what's happening, really, you know, treat that religiously where you're saying, I'm, I don't even care at looking at my phone right now. Like I am doing this project, right? And you will get it done. Somehow it always works, you know, and I think that that's so helpful just to give yourself the space for that. Mm, I love that. Thank you. So knowing everything that you know now, what, so we talked about a little bit how, what you did back in 2008, 12 years ago. Wow. 12 years ago. It's yeah. been a while. Man, time flies. Um, what you did, which is to grow slower, more organically and think about conscientiously what the brand stands for, what your purpose is, right? And would you give that advice to someone who's starting the business right now? I would. And I would put it in, I would put it in this way. So I would say, you know, there's so much pressure 
Um, when you launch a business, you go to a conference, you meet someone, the very first question they ask you when they find out that you started a company is, oh, how big is your team? As always, always the first question. And mm. that, and then what we see kind of business owners portrayed as in movies, what you see, you know, people posting on social media, all of this stuff. It's so tempting to basically say, oh my God, I'm not successful if I don't have this team, these offices, this big clients, all this stuff. But honestly, you know, as someone that has had all of those things, I can tell you that those were some of the years of my business that I felt kind of less satisfied, actually, um, because I felt like I wasn't able to you know, work on projects myself or actually do the things that, you know, I, I started this thing to be able to do. So, you know, all of that's to say, um, when you're starting your company, really take the time to reflect what does success mean to you. And part of that, you know, to your point is thinking about purpose, but I think it kind of runs parallel. You know, what is success to you? Is that all of those things? That's great, right? That's awesome. Perfect, right? But don't let other people define what success is for you. That is something I wish that someone would have told me earlier, for sure. Mm. And, you know, to an extent, I, I kind of had intuition for that. But I admittedly got very caught up in sort of the typical, you know, um, image of success and wanted to align myself with that. And I think that the 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 period that I was doing that I think was such a waste of time. I think that I should have been really focusing on what success means to me first, and then kind of moving accordingly. So on that note, that's actually perfect that you talked about that because part of my ways to help people to find their purpose is actually uh, designing that exactly. So can you walk us back to your journey? of how you find your success? Was it through just meditation by yourself in a cave? Was it through journaling? Like tactically, how did you sort of um, come closer and closer to knowing what that is for you, Matthew? Yeah, so, so I've, I've done that in a few ways. And I think maybe, maybe one of these might be helpful for somebody listening. Um, you know, the first thing that I did when I was much younger is I wrote a, a biography for myself uh, from the future, right? Like, you know, think of like a Twitter bio, not, not like a book, <laughs> you know, a, sh a short bio uh, from the future. And that was so interesting as an exercise, basically to say, hey, in 10 years, you know, what am I doing, right? And kind of being able to visualize that um, was helpful for many reasons. But that, that was one tactic that I used. Um, I think another did you, did you write it one time or is it more of an iterative process? It's an iterative process. Yeah. Um, but the very first time I did it, I'll say that was the most impactful uh, time for me because as a business owner, you know, you're just getting started out, you know, writing a kind of blurb of a headline of what you look like in 10 years. First of all, you're accepting that you're going to be doing this in 10 years. You know, and so to me, actually just writing it, it's funny, it wasn't any kind of agreement or anything. It was the first time that I imagined, oh, I'm, this is what I'm doing, you know, like this is going to work out. It was the first time I ever imagined that. And so to me, yes, it is iterative, 
I, I think it's great to do it more than once, but I think savor that first time and do it when you feel ready, you know, to kind of actually accept that as well. Um, so yeah, so that would be one bit of advice. Um, the other, which I think is maybe, you know, maybe, um, more common, but I do do a lot of kind of reflection. So whether that is, um, you know, something that looks like meditation or, or drawing, you know, mindfulness, uh, kind of activities to think about what I'm, what I'm doing and where I want to go. That's something that's become much more of a norm, uh, for me as well, uh, in these, in these recent years. Uh, so I, I highly recommend that. Any specific frequencies that you do it? So, you know, I, I actually used to do, um, meditation every day. Um, and unfortunately I do it in that, in the kind of way of actually sitting a lot less, um, now and the way that it sort of makes itself, uh, enter my life is through drawing. So pulling out a piece of paper and just kind of doodling aimlessly the whole time I'm thinking. Right. And so to me that I found that that works pretty well. Um, mm. And yeah, as much as possible, I don't schedule it surprisingly because I schedule literally everything else, but I kind of let it happen. Sometimes it's in the morning, sometimes it's at lunch, sometimes it's in the evening while I'm watching TV, you know. Um, when all the spirit moves you. Exactly. I see. <laughs> hmm. um, are you, how do you cultivate actually, so speaking on spirit, I don't know if you're religious or not, but how do you cultivate that inner awareness? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Um, Especially for what you do, right? You're a creative, you're a designer, you're a business owner, right? Um, I don't know if you ever watch Elizabeth Gilbert's talk. No. Her conception of the muse is that she's a conduit, she's a channel, and then mm. the spirit comes through her and moves through her hand that way. So again, not to get into religiosity here, but I'm curious, how do you cultivate your uh, inner awareness? Yeah, fascinating question. So, um, so I think in a number of ways, but I think maybe the most, the thing that's been most profound for me is, is art, actually. Um, whether that's making art or standing in front of a painting, specifically a painting. Um, a, a very important artist to me growing up was Frida Kahlo. Um, I was actually very sick in high school to the point where I was sort of stuck in bed a lot and couldn't really go to school and had all these issues. And around that time, I learned about Frida and I learned about the artwork that she made from looking at a mirror on her ceiling to be able to paint her own self portraits. And that there's, I don't think anything in my life has moved me as much as learning that story um, in high school. And so when that I- That was like an awakening moment almost. It was because it basically taught me that no matter what you can create, you know, and you, you're creating your own barriers, no matter what, right? Like there's always the trick to put the mirror on the ceiling. Like there's always something. And, um, and so, you know, to be honest, when I go to a museum, especially if it's her work, but I try to do this with a lot of work is I stand there and I try not to see the painting. I try to see the hand in front mm -hmm. of the canvas that made it. And that is a really kind of just unbelievable feeling uh, that, that, I, that I get. So I think, you know, going to museums helps me do that. I think um, creating my own artwork when I can helps me do that. 
uh, as well. But um, yeah. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. That actually gave me chills just thinking about the all of the conduits, right? All of the hands that yeah that that did the work to chisel away anything that's not them and allow that beauty, allow the artistic expression to come through fully such that we can, as other human beings, can actually appreciate the beauty that they have, you know, uh, immortalized. Absolutely. And, you know, a painting is hung when the person decides to stop stroking the brush, right? But Mm -hmm. the actual art is in stroking the brush. I mean, that's what Mm -hmm. I believe. It's actually the process. And so what we're seeing is we're not actually seeing the art, you know, we're seeing the artifact um, mm. that was left, that was left over. And so, you know, that, that's something that, that I've believed for, for a long time, ever since, you know, I was a little kid painting that. When really? I was, yeah. You had, you had that realization, how old? Oh, I mean, I must've been, I mean, I was very young. Uh, you know, I, I've been painting since I was like two years old, you know, but um, when I was probably in elementary school, that's when I was painting a lot in middle school too. Um, I, I found out, I found like this kind of weird feeling all of a sudden that when I would finish a painting, I wouldn't want to really look at it anymore, you know, but I was always excited to paint it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that is kind of a very interesting thing that has made its way into a lot of what I do now of like constantly making, constantly writing, you know, I love process so much that to me, that is the point is, is being in that moment and, and doing something. I, it, uh, as, as someone who, who's, who actually had a drastic shift uh, in thinking about, because as a Chinese person, I'm taught to think about outcome. Mm. You are worthy when you get that A. From right. a very, very young age, right? So, so I had to actually unlearn that mindset and then actually think about the journey instead. Yeah. That's right? so and actually important. enjoy every step of the way because, as you said, um, the beauty of our life isn't in the achievement. I mean, those are nice, don't get me wrong. It's like a milestone. But mm-hmm. ultimately, if we can't appreciate the journey every step of the way, once we get to the top, wherever that milestone is, we're not going to enjoy it that much anyway. So That's true. what I've learned. So I'm... I'm so moved that you learned that lesson so young. Well, and you know, but it's something you can easily forget. There was kind of a really interesting uh, conversation I had. I I used to teach at Art Center in Pasadena Mm -hmm. and a colleague of mine uh, there who I really respect, you know, said that at some point in his business, he, he stopped kind of celebrating the, the wins or, or the fun parts. And uh, when, when that happened, it felt like every achievement or every, you know, thing that he used to love was the same thing as every low point. Like there was, they weren't really differentiated to him. Um, and, and I thought that was just such a profound reflection that, you know, to the point this a little bit contradicts what we're talking about, but, you know, enjoying the process, taking the moment to reflect on the achievement and not just constantly moving to the next thing, I think is so important as well. I mean, bring back to COVID-19, a lot of people are freaking out and they're saying, woe is me or why this is happening or, you know, playing the resentment blaming game. But to me, we are also seeing just like psychedelics and meditation or challenging times, challenging times reveals 
of our light and our shadow. It doesn't mm. actually, it, it, to me, is a multiplier. It's a catalyst. So um, it's really important from my point of view to also enjoy, and it's hard to say that, uh, yeah. sounds weird, right? But actually pay attention to what it reveals about how you're reacting to all of this, how you're acting, how you're helping, how you're hiding. And all of it is perfect. All of it is science because all of it is part of you. That's my point of view. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I mean, I think it's been really interesting because even though, you know, I've, I've had a fairly remote, fairly flexible, you know, schedule for quite a lot of time. Um, you know, I, I travel a lot to give talks and do workshops and all of a sudden all of that is completely wiped away. Right. And that's something that I love. I've, I've loved being able to do that. And for some reason I'm okay with not doing it right now, you know, and I, and it's very surprising because that's something I never thought that I would be able to really give up. And I know I haven't, you know, for forever, but for months, you know, I, that's not going to happen. And I'm kind of okay with it. And uh, it's kind of interesting, like you said, what you sort of learn about yourself in these times. Thank you for sharing that. So c- coming back on the tactical advice for business owners who may be freaking out right now about, oh my God, as you said earlier, my income, half of it is gone because conferences isn't happening, speaking gigs, isn't, I'm not saying that's you, but just yeah. you know, in general, you know, whatever things is their business being impacted. Do you have any ways to think about this or to advise them tactically to uh, turn this challenge, shall we say, into biggest blessing and opportunity? Well, you know, I would say one thing is get creative, right? So when you think about creativity, um, the way that I like to define it is sort of making despite or with constraints. You know, there's constraints. How can you do something, right? That's creativity. Um, and, and, and what I mean by that is those things that you think you're going to have to cancel or you think your client is going to can- cancel, how can you still do them? You know, how can you still provide that same value remotely? Um, case in point, on Monday, I hopped on a call with a client who uh, was going to cancel a big workshop that we've been planning for months. And it would have meant losing money, you know, and, and, and it would have meant being disappointed because we worked hard on it and all of that. Um, but then I brought up the idea and shared a plan for how we could do the same workshop over Zoom. Uh, and using some of these other tools that a lot of people are are learning about right now. And they hadn't even thought about that. Like that didn't even cross their mind, right? So, and the project, I still have it. We're still doing it, right? So, so how can you kind of get creative and really think about what you can do? Um, now, I know that being, um, you know, in the consulting kind of space, I have a lot of different privileges right now than somebody in a product space. So I think some important advice to people who have products is thinking about, again, what can you do to get creative? If you can't be in your, in your warehouse producing things, shipping things, what else can you do? What talents exist on your team and how can you leverage that at this time? Right. Um, How can you, if you can afford it, how can you use some of this time to work on the business and actually have your team think about the business, the systems, how that can be improved, right? These are kind of short-term investments that might end up making 
you have quite a big upside uh, when we get out of all of this as well. Um, and, you know, and for anyone that doesn't have that time to do that, you know, I think what I would say is that um, there is no shame in doing what you need to do to be able to take care of, of yourself right now, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're not a failure. This is not your fault. This is not anybody's fault. Um, this is something that's happening to us, right? And so, um, you know, take, if you need to take that break, if you need to uh, start looking for a job and, you know, scale back your business right now, it might not be forever, you know? So, so I think it's okay to, to do that. It's not a failure at all. Mm. Actually, tactically speaking too, what are some of the questions that you either ask yourself, or you advise others such that they can find the biggest um, opportunity to contribute the greatest value? Yeah. So, so, you know, one thing is basically kind of, putting everything aside of what your business does, how you promote it, all of those things, right? Making a list of things, let's say it's five things, right? That you and your team are really good at doing. So let's say, for example, you're in the cosmetic space and you sell, you know, hair and makeup product. Um, Is your team really good at uh, creating sort of e-commerce solutions? Can you offer that as, as a kind of, you know, web design service to people? Uh, is your team good at writing copy to sell products? Can you offer that as a service, right? Um, is your team good at doing product photography? Can you offer that as a service or ha- put out advice on how to do that or create a toolkit or an online course or, you know, all these things that your business was not at all created to do, but you know how to do it you know, and you make that list. And for each of those things, you think who out there could benefit from this, right? Mm -hmm. And who could we possibly sell this to? How can you kind of, you know, just pivot a little bit to think about how you can take um, the the good of what you have? Because it's not like overnight, all of your skills were, you know, vanished, right? Mm -hmm. We're just we're in a different situation. How can you apply those skills in a a way uh, that's different? Mm-hmm. Let me yeah. recap what you said. Yeah. So wipe the entire slate clean, starting from nothing, and then really take a good inven- take a good look, inventory all of your uh, competencies, and then think about how can I repackage these different kind of competencies into different offerings to perhaps different sets of the market or send same market but a different uh, angle. Right, so that way you can continue to provide um, that value to the people that you want to serve. Is that an accurate way to reflect back what you just said? It's perfect, absolutely. No, I think all of that is something that anybody could do. Um, and again, and, and here I am. I I'm not in the product business. I don't have physical things that I sell, and so I don't want to belittle how challenging of a time it is right now for people in that space. But I hope that these are some you know, bits of advice of how you might be able to kind of make things work. Um, You know, another thing I've seen that's really interesting, I've been seeing people do is promoting that they're selling gift cards right now, you know, for future purchases, or especially for restaurants, or for people that are cutting hair, or for tattoo artists, or, you know, these, Mm -hmm. these things that just literally can't be done online, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, 
selling future experiences is something that can be done right now, um, mm-hmm. aside from working on the business and kind of getting creative about it. Actually, on that note, I also, the way I'm, I'm, a, I'm an internal optimist, right? Just so <laughs> let me put that out front. I like to see this as a forcing function for us to get creative, for us to think, you know, outside of the box that we normally wouldn't think about because, you know, normal times people are busy with what they're already doing, what's already working, right? So now this is forces to get creative. What I've seen, even martial art schools, when they normally wouldn't even think about uh, ways beyond their physical one-to-one training or one-to-many training, now they're thinking about how it can virtualize their education to offer to the entire world. It's, it's hugely transformative. So even for um, their hairstylist or, you know, the, 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 the beauty, I don't know, even yeah. the artist, right? Think about ways you can go beyond the one-to-one service. Because ultimately, and here's what I want to remind people to think about. If you serve one person at a time, no matter what, how high of a rate you charge, you're still trading time for money. Yeah. Right? Even if you're a surgical surgeon, let's say, right? But it, if you can turn your expertise into products, uh, then all of a sudden you're now creating assets. And then, then you can actually, there is no uh, up, there is no limit to how much you can actually uh, benefit your prospective clients with your knowledge and your expertise. That's Absolutely. what I'll say. Yeah. And I think that's great advice. And, you know, the really nice thing is creating those products, what it's doing aside from possibly giving you this chance to diversify and scale the, the income side of it is it's forcing you to actually write down your systems and how you do things, right? And that will make you, even if you continue to be the one-to-one kind of model, better at what you do. And that is so useful, you know, to really know, like, let's say you are, you, you do branding for people, right? How do you do that? You know, jotting down your steps um, is so helpful. Yeah, and actually, Jamie, on that too, the act of, um, describing the your your own creative process how you actually look at problem how you size them up what kind of tools you use and so on and so forth will allow you to uh give it away or delegate to uh junior partners who can actually do the work for you right so Absolutely. that's also another way to scale who you are versus just having everything depending on you yeah. um for for business owners who are six, seven, six figures, seven figures, let's say, um, a lot of times the biggest challenge is scaling. This, what you just described, is a tactical way to scale yourself, mm-hmm. right? Beautiful, man. I really, really appreciate you sharing this. Is there anything else that you want to share about? Actually, you know what? One thing I forgot to ask yeah. you. Yeah. So, Matthew, you share your journey of scaling this business back in 2008, you share a little bit of even earlier how you have had the awakening moment. What was life like? Actually, no. So, so purpose for you, was it more like a light switch? No purpose to having a purpose, black and white like that? Or is it more of a gradual elimination to closer and closer to your 
greater purpose, your higher purpose in life? You know, I think I think because I was able to start the company at a time where I could focus less on immediate growth and immediate reward and more on what I really wanted to do, um, the purpose came very early for me. Um, it was one of the first things that I sort of established uh, in in the development of the business. That purpose then kind of evolved as time went on, but it was something that I feel like I uh, was trying to establish as early as possible um, in my case. So in the now, is that business purpose the same as your personal purpose or is it distinct? Is it different? I think it's the same. Yeah, it's for same. me, okay. yeah, for me, the personal and the, and the business purpose is, is the same. It's, it's around making innovation and creativity more accessible for people. And, you know, and, and I, I do that by working with clients. I do that by doing pro bono work, by publishing free toolkits, all of that. But in my, in my personal life, you know, I, I do that by trying to create fun moments, you know, with my family or friends to, to make things or to explore things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy I was able to find that bridge. I, I know it's not always the case that those are two of the same, but uh, in my case, it is. Mm. So. Purpose is one of those words that people use a lot. It's very meaningful for the individual, right? But from the outsider's point of view, we don't really know what's the difference of pre-purpose versus post-purpose. So if you can paint us a picture, if we were to watch your life on a movie screen, pre-purpose, what would we see? Wow, interesting question. Um, I would say pre-purpose, you would see sort of uh, you know, someone that was feeling a little bit lost around, you know, I'm, I'm learning all of these things and I am kind of liking some of these things. I don't know who I want to do these things for. Um, I'm not sure where I want to live, what I want to aspire to be, you know, kind of more lost than exploring. I think there's, there's kind of a fine line between those things, more lost than exploring and then post. What's the difference? Wait, what's the difference between the two? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that right now. Okay, sure. So, and then post purpose, you know, I think I went from lost to exploring, and mm. so so kind of the the bridge there is lost is you know wandering around aimlessly and not sure you know when you're gonna go back home or find what home even is, and exploring is choosing to leave your home and mm. choosing to to be lost in a way, mm-hmm. but knowing that you have somewhere to come back um, as well. Mm-hmm. So post-purpose, what will we see on the screen? Yeah, so post-purpose, I think you would see, you know, well, I think you would literally see me at a computer writing a bunch of things and designing a bunch of things. But I think what you would see is this person that is, you know, going out into the world, uh, traveling, exploring, meeting people, and trying to share what I have to offer with as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. So if I'm hearing you right, if we were to watch the screen, we won't necessarily see that much of a difference in the, in the so there's being, doing, and having, right? Mm-hmm. In the way of doing things, you won't see that much of a difference per se, but it's more of the intentionality of no intention or just kind of doing it for the sake of doing it versus uh, doing it now for towards a specific direction that you want to lead your life. Am I 
accurate to say that? Absolutely. Yeah, basically in either of those movies, you would see Matthew wandering around, <laughs> you know. But again, yeah, with one, I'm looking for a home. With one, I'm intentionally leaving that home, right? So yeah, I think that's the simplest way to put it for sure. Beautiful. I appreciate you sharing your journey with us. Now, is there anything else that for people who are listening to this, what would be the one thing if they're still listening and they're maybe a little uncertain about where they're at with their business, what would be the one thing that you want to leave them with? I think the one thing I would want to leave people with is uh, something around defining success for yourself. And so what I would want to leave you with is for you to look at your business, look at what you're doing, look at all of the activities, all the things on your plate, and ask yourself, what is the source of each of these things? What is the thing that is motivating you to do each of these things? Is it you? Is it your purpose? Is it your goal in life? Or is it that it's just what other people are doing? Right. So kind of really dissecting your plate and trying to figure out what is it that you actually like doing and what is it that's actually getting you closer to that vision of success that you have um, that is maybe isn't typical and maybe doesn't look impressive to some people. Right. What is what is that, you know, and, and really try to find it. Mm. Beautiful. I appreciate this, Matthew. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your journey, and tactical advice to help people when we cover a lot of different grounds, right? To finding their purpose, to uh, appreciating the, uh, the COVID-19 challenge, to take their business from um, completely physical to working from home model, completely virtual. Really, really appreciate everything that you share. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, CK. And thanks for everybody for listening.